This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're talking today about our guest, Ben Norris, who plays a teenager to great effect. It is very funny on Mindy Kaling's Netflix show, Never Have I Ever, a show that I enjoy. And I have to say, I think he's probably one of the funnier characters on it. I really love him. But he's Mm -hmm. actually like a man. He's an adult man who has some, uh, you know, a little life under his belt and, uh, had to had to do had to do some quitting to get to where he is. I was impressed by that. I really I related to that. Obviously, I was like mind meld because that was exactly sort of my story along the way. I was just interested very much in how you felt talking to somebody so optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're you're forcing me to. You know, I have a point of view, so you're forcing me to give it to you. I think optimistic people are nice to be around. He's focused on positive outlook, which I think is a signal that, like, it's something that I am in and out of sometimes where I'm like, that's, I'm doing it because I need to keep myself going. Like, I need to keep myself moving. It was telling that he didn't quit his side jobs until season two. You know what I mean? Like, he's still, he, to me, he still feels like he is very much still in the hustle, which is a different place than like, some of the people we've had on who are like, oh yeah, you know, they're out of the hustle. Like they still love the job, right. they still do the job, and but they're they're not in the hustle the same way. And most of all, I enjoyed hearing that he feels like we're going to be okay. Like this next, this Gen Z group is they give a shit, you know. At least the yeah. ones in on a set in California, who knows, but that they that they they give a shit. I needed to hear that right now. Those kids have a really have really good hearts. I wonder if they have like an inner life at all. Like if they get to spend any time with themselves, by themselves, without other people's feedback mechanisms. Cuz I worry that like their point of view is going to go through such a filter of feedback of other mm-hmm. what other people mm-hmm. think about their point of view that it won't even be mm-hmm. theirs when it comes out on the other end. That that's that the part is so that interesting. I'm scared of. Yeah, there is not a minute that 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 uh, that all these digital natives are not in a feedback loop, and with the algorithm being fed to them, it was fun to talk to somebody young and and who really loves it. He loves yeah. it. He loves acting. He loves being part of it. And it's, yeah. that's just, that's joyful. And I, I don't always have an optimistic outlook and I really appreciated mm-hmm. his. Here he is, Ben Norris. Hello. Hi. 
guys look amazing. Hi, Julie. I'm ba- I'm I know who you are, Julie. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> it's hey, nice to meet you. Very I'm big. Chad. You look amazing. Oh, well, my God. Thank you guys. Welcome to Quitters. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I've been listening to a lot of episodes and I, uh, <laughs> you guys are amazing. So I'm so, so thankful to be here. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for That's coming. really nice. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about your age because you said you're friends with Quinta and you're friends <laughs> with Kate, and but you're playing a high school student. Are you okay to talk about your age or is that a secret? I'm fine with talking about my age. I really am. Okay, and you, you know are. Okay. I knew that I knew the day would come eventually because it's online. <laughs> it's like no one knows how old I am, and I'm not. I'm not trying to keep it a secret. It's just. Can we guess? Would you hate that? I, I would love guess. that. Actually, Julie, will you guess? Well, I I was blown away because I know how old Kate is, but then where I got thrown, I was like, Quinta is a showrunner and creator, and she can't be more than then. That puts you at anywhere between twenty nine and thirty two max, and that and that means Quinta's in there too, and yet she's a one of the most like important voices in television right now. It's amazing. uh, Well, to answer your age question, I uh, I'm thirty two. Yeah. And uh, do you think that you I'm going to I'm going to lay it on you in sure. an unfair lay it way. on I'm like, me, Julie. Just lay it on. Do me. you do you think that you are so confident and comfortable being 32 and playing a high school student because you're a dude and you know that you've got a massive long career in front of you and it doesn't matter how old you get? Oh man. <laughs> uh well, first off, thank you. Uh I I hope I have a massive and long career ahead of me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always make the joke that I'm like, I'm finally old enough to play high school. And, uh, you know, I've been auditioning for essentially the same age character for the last 11 years. <laughs> and so it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I really enjoy it. I really do. But it's this interesting thing where I'm playing a different generation than my own, not just a different age, just an actual different generation. And so uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that I have to learn from my castmates in order to kind of understand certain things, you know, but... Because I your mean, castmates are how old? They're all, they all kind of range. From, I mean, when we first started, they ranged from 17 to 21. And then, a, you know, a few right. around my age as well. They're all like incredible people and wonderful. And so uh, ahead of their time, all of them, that um, it, it wasn't difficult to connect with them in any way, shape and form. You've listened to the show a few times, which you yeah. said, which which I really appreciate. Did you come like with a quit in your head that you wanted to share? Did you start like crafting the quit? And what is it, if I could just ask? I did, absolutely. I, I think my big quit that kind of sent me on this path was uh, when I first moved to LA, I worked at a television network as a coordinator for uh, a year and a half. And uh, because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a writer first and foremost, that's what I studied in college. And so I thought, you know, I would move out to LA, work at a TV network, which I did. And I didn't know how it worked. I thought I could just work my way up to being a writer. Right, right. You know, and you had I, no idea that you're actually siloed as I, an assistant or as a coordinator. Exactly. I, I had no idea how this works. And so, mm-hmm. but, you know, a lot of people in, in college and whatnot, were encouraging me to, you know, maybe you should also focus in acting because, you know, I had a natural knack for it. I love it. I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, after a year and a half working at the network, sitting in a cubicle, I I realized, like, I don't really think that this is my path. And and also, you know what? I thought I was reinventing the wheel. I was like, I could audition and be in a cubicle. Everyone works part-time jobs, but, like, 
I can do what no one else has done. That wasn't true. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, now I understand why people need their schedules to be free. So, so yeah, I quit. And that was, uh, you know, at this point, one of the best decisions of my life. Do you remember the day that you decided to quit? Or was it like, I, I was talking to a friend the other day who stopped dyeing her hair. And it turns out that she has shockingly white hair. And she looks gorgeous because she's growing up. She looks like a lion. It's crazy. But she had this moment. She got to the, she was hiking with her family. She got to the top of some mountain. She goes, huh, I think I'm done dyeing my hair. <laughs> like it was, there was an actual moment. But sometimes it's much more incremental than that. But what it do, was, you, uh, do you- It was definitely incremental. Like I think that there were, there were moments that led me to that decision. And so, you know, one thing was I, I took any chance- I could get to act, whether it was making my own. I was making a web series at the time. Anytime someone asked me to be in something, I would do that. I, I slowly started to realize just how much I enjoyed acting and creating, of course. But, you know, there were kind of a string of events at work that I realized that my head wasn't in it. I, I, I wasn't invested in the work that I was doing. And that's both unfair to the company I was working at, and it's unfair to myself as well. I do specifically remo- remember a moment where I was looking around the room, seeing everyone at their cubicles, and I, I really loved all my coworkers. I was very lucky. I was like 21. I was the youngest one there. Everyone was so supportive, and, and it was really exciting to work this, like as I called it back then, a big boy job, right? Mm-hmm. And But I looked around and I was like, look, I'm very comfortable right here, right now. But I could also, if I continue down this path, I think I'm going to be here in five, seven, eight years. And, but, you know, I'm speaking for me. I mean, it's, it's completely okay to take that path and to take that journey. Like, I'm not at all bashing that journey whatsoever. I just realized, like, this isn't me. Like, I, I need to explore this. I need to try and attain this goal that kind of seems impossible, but if I don't try now, then when, you know? And so, yeah, I I definitely was very lucky. I did have some coworkers being like, if you want to do this, like, go do it now, you know? Hmm. And so, yeah, I I was very lucky with how much support I had around me. I'm curious. I used to work in a cubicle too. And on my way out of the cubicle, I uh, was really excited about getting about the journey of getting out of the cubicle but also really scared Mm -hmm. and a part of what was scary for me was there were people who i whose opinions mattered a lot to me who i knew didn't believe in that decision and who i knew were either scared for me or scared for themselves and projecting that on me what what kind of voices did you have in your head around that time were any of those voices not supportive like i said i was very lucky so my voices were were very supportive. My my parents especially. I'm I'm I I acknowledge how lucky I am. My parents are very supportive of me. It was it was they believed in me, right? Mm. Uh, and they they still do. I didn't mean to put that past tense. They still I believe they still believe in me. I will say though that you know, you know my my grandmothers also they were both supportive as well. But uh, there were of course people being like, well, what's the you know what's the backup plan? And I would have to explain. Right. There is no backup plan. I don't have a backup plan. I don't want that in my head. I know Mm -hmm. that I'll be able to do this. But also, I think that I was also kind of naive. And I'm kind of glad I was. Like, I was telling people, like, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to get reps. I'm going to audition. And in three years, I'm going to be in, like, 
a Seth Rogen movie or a Scorsese movie, just either or. Like, I'll be in one of those. <laughs> I'll, take either. <laughs> I'll take either. I will either. accept either. <laughs> and, and they're uh, like, would you accept a Mindy Kaling show on Netflix? Uh, I guess so. I guess. <laughs> I mean, once I saw that audition, I was like, I will take this. This sounds right. Uh, but it took, look, it took, it took years, you know? What was at stake for you in that? What were you leaving? Were you leaving healthcare? Were you leaving a paycheck that you were relying on? Besides just the, the I'm taking a chance on my career stuff, physically, like, what was your, what was your safety net like? And how, how much was at stake when you decided to leave the cubicle? That's a great question, because honestly, it was, it was, it was all financial. I mean, it was like, you know, I was making, at the time, it was, it was literally no money, but I, it was money to me. I mean, I was, was 21 years old. Money. You could pay your rent. It, yeah, yeah I, it, exactly. Like, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm an adult. Like, I could actually pay my rent and buy my groceries and everything. And, and like I said, I was comfortable. But when I quit that job, that was what was at stake, was, was living in this ridiculously expensive city without having that safety net without really having say I mean I don't really have savings at that time I worked for a year and right. a half like I, I couldn't save and so <laughs> but but I look I'm I'm someone who always I, I always want to be as responsible as possible so it's like of course I looked for a job right away a part-time job and you know for the next seven years seven ish years I did whatever I could to make it work and it was like you know, the, the, the fear of being able to live and support myself, it was constantly at the forefront of my mind. I mean, I was always worried about money for a long time. And I think we, I think a lot of us are, I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm, th I'm not unique in that way. That's what was scary about it. It, it I, you know, funny enough, it's like, I'm going into this career path where my job is to go on job interviews and not get the job. <laughs> but I was yes. more, I was more concerned with like, okay, how am I going to pay? How am I going to pay rent? Like that was my big thing. Right. So that, that was my big fear for me. I'm curious, both of you, I was thinking about this before the conversation though. Sometimes I'm like, it's a little dangerous to have a successful working actor on the show who says, I put my name in the hat of the most ridiculous lottery. And, you know, and I worked and I grinded and I stuck with it. And I, you know, I kept showing up and getting told no until I got a yes. And it worked because like, I know Hollywood is littered with people who did the exact same process and it never, ever happened. Yep. Do you all like process, like be, besides luck, because obviously there's luck involved, but like what's the difference for when it works and like when it doesn't work? Like why did it work for you two? Man, everyone has always said, you know, every when I was starting out in this industry, anyone who knew what they were talking about, they all said like it's a it's a combination of of skill and and luck and being at the right place at the right time. And and it's after years of grinding, I started, I kind of started to erode. Like my hope kind of started mm. to erode. I mean, I still, mm. I still was motivated. I wasn't any less motivated. I think there's a difference, but I think the the skies ahead were very cloudy and then you know of course i did get my break and i was so appreciative of that but i'm i'm very aware that you know the break doesn't always come for some people and a lot of the times people do deserve it like i get it you know yeah. and you know i'll talk to um my manager and i have this really cool opportunity to talk to students at our old college and i i do encourage them to you know 
always don't don't fully have your blinders on. Like always be aware of your peripherals. Like there are things that you could pivot to that are still kind of in the arena of what you want to do and be open to to changes. I mean, in the beginning of my career, I had a few very close calls to be a host and I I didn't I did not want to be a host, but I did want to make money right. at least entertaining people and so if that were to happen, if I were to actually be offered one of those jobs, I think I would have taken it. And then maybe I would have of pivoted. Course. You know? Yeah. So I think, yeah. yeah, I think it's just important to be aware of all of your options. Like, I don't, I'm not necessarily someone who's going to be like, no, like, know your goal and stick to it no matter what. Like, let's be realistic here. Like, we, we, we can only control so much in our careers, you know? When you said the skies are cloudy ahead mm -hmm. and you were starting, you still had passion, but, you know, you were realistic. It was getting, that's, you were describing what I always say about the entertainment industry in general, which is there is no joy, only relief. And that mm. is, sure, there's a few people that come out here, audition for the first thing, get like, wow! And they're, yeah. and, you know, getting $20 million paychecks. They're so rare. Most people, even quote unquote, successful working actors have had to compromise, grind it out, take a shitty job, be told no a hundred times before they're told yes. So by the time you get to the yes, you're just like, really? Me? Oh, okay. It's tempered. You never feel like, I never felt like I was being catapulted into this stratosphere that didn't have anything to do with reality anymore. There was always reality because you've heard no so many times. Yep. So it doesn't, when you were asking Chad about what is that, what's the difference or what is it like? The difference, I think, is the ability to hear no and go, mm. okay, dust yourself off and get back in there. That's right. And and also the ability to just go, I still think every job's my last. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every job mm -hmm. is my last job. Full stop. And every audition is my first. And you just, you're going to hear no a gajillion times. But yeah. honestly, they grind you the fuck down out they here. They grind you down. They <laughs> grind you down. And I and and yeah. Julie, I have to say, I I so I heard you say something similar. I think it was on Tony Hale's episode about how you know your every job you're worried that it's your last. And I gotta say, yeah. it's refreshing to hear. You know, you're you're a veteran of the game. You've worked. You've had these like iconic roles, and it is a sense of relief to be like all right, we're all, we all have this fear, you know? No matter how much you Everybody. believe in yourself, you all have this fear. So I, I- And it all just depends on what you've got on the line. How much, what's your nut? Who are you carrying? When I was mm. in my 20s and working, it didn't, ma it didn't matter if I, if I said no to a job or, or you know, because I, I, I start to have a little agency. And then, then you get married and then you've got kids and then you're like, oh shit, now- now there's a lot more at stake. And now, believe it or not, I look at you, Ben, and I go, you're the lucky fucker. <laughs> you are the lucky well, fucker. You've got it all in front of you. And as far as I know, and I love my children, you don't have any kids, right? Uh, not yet, no. <laughs> okay. This is the best time ever. Right. You're, you're agile. So, but Julie, you're saying it grinds you down. It's not been, it sounded like that's exactly what you were saying. I'm curious, like, how does facing that many slammed doors, how does that, whatever that does to you, how does it show up in other areas of your life that are non-professional? Oh man, that's a, that's a very good question. Yeah. I mean, you know, first off, 
the no's, they get to you. As much as you want to say they don't get mm. you, they, they get to you. And it, it's actually funny because growing up, I was someone who was so afraid of no. My mom mm-hmm. would always say if I had to go up and ask someone for a mint or something, like the smallest <laughs> things, my mom would always say, what's the worst they could say? No. And I would be like, yes, that is the worst <laughs> that could happen. That's a terrible thing to happen. And then I go into this this career path where like I literally, it's just always no. When it comes to the actual job, like, you know, I've gotten to the point where I understand that, like, the job isn't real until you're on set and the camera's rolling. Anything can happen. And so I've learned that, and I try to curb my expectations and whatnot. But as far as other aspects of my life, look, I've, I think one of the reasons why I've stuck with this is I am a glass half full person. I, I am a very optimistic person, sometimes to, to my own fault and my own detriment. But uh, but I'd rather be that way than the other way. And, and that's just who I am to my core. And so I, I try not to let my, you know, quote unquote rejections in this, you know, in this part of my life to kind of like hinder my experience in other, in other parts of my life. I, I generally always still try to remain who I am down to my core. I'm optimistic. I, I, I always think that things are going to work out. And my fiance and I do have kind of this fun dynamic where it's, you know, she's not pessimistic by any means, but I am, I am the glasses like three quarters full all the time, you know? And so we have, we really balance each other out like that. So look, I, I, I'm always going to remain optimistic. I always like to think things are going to work out, but um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hard balance sometimes. Mm-hmm. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I was listening to uh, Michael B. Jordan do an interview promoting Creed. And something he said was that because he thinks that people from the East Coast do well in Hollywood because they're used to seasons. Like they know there's a rhythm of you get fucked up, Hmm. then something nice happens, then something, you know, off center happens. Like you get used to the rhythm of like losing, trying, winning, losing, trying, winning. I'm curious for, I mean, both of you are from the East Coast. Do you, do you think there's any truth in, in that or is that reverse engineering? I think maybe. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe you know. I mean, I there know. is something about <clears throat> getting, you know, getting your ass kicked, humping it through, um, you know, going to auditions in the snow, going, going to school in the snow, sl- slogging through things that you do learn some perseverance. But at the same time, you know, my sister, I've always said my older sister is an actress or was an actress and is much better than I am. Going back to what Ben said before, there's other people who should have gotten the break. Right, right. She never did. And she didn't like hearing the no. 
That she it, that was painful mm. for her. And she is a true artist. Honestly, between the two of us, like she's a much finer tuned instrument and is wounded by the no more easily. I'm more like a blunt hammer, but really she should have gotten the break. And she grew up on the East Coast too. So I don't know. One of the experiences that I had growing up that kind of gave me kind of a thick skin, I don't know if it was necessarily being from the East Coast, but look, I grew up a very small, late bloomer, underdeveloped kind of kid, right? I was like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was like 4'11 when I went into high school. So I was a small kid. And so, you know, there was a lot of teasing. And of course the teasing got to me. I'm not sitting here saying like, don't let it get to you. Like it gets to you sometimes. I totally get it. But I would use humor to, you know, uh, uh, just kind of like, uh, you know, make, change the topic, you know, like I just, (laughs) I wanted to make people laugh. And I think number one, that was one of the things that really made me realize, like, I want to entertain people. I want to make people laugh. Like this is, this is literally my favorite thing to do in the world is make people laugh. And I realized, you know, sticks and stones, right? Like there could have been way harsher things that were said to me, and I'm sure it could have affected me way more. So I'm not sitting here saying like, I'm, you know, anyone can overcome anything. I don't, I, I, everyone has their own experience, but honestly, I, yeah, I think being someone who was kind of teased for my size and kind of teased for like how late, you know, I had puberty like last year, like I'm not like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I was like, I was small, you know? And so yeah, I just I think I think those kind of experiences I I still take with me to this day and and uh I just you just don't take things personally, right? Like it's you just don't take things personally cuz you have so you could only control so much in this industry and There's quitting the the full-time job. And I never personally I never had the full-time job. I burned that bridge. I I got a full-time job as a at Condé Nast in the interiors as a junior editor in interior. I, for the first time in my life, I didn't show up. I I burned the bridge because I didn't, I knew once I got in there, I'm too much of a people pleaser. At that age and time in my life, I would have been like, that's a track. I would have stayed. So I went straight to the, um, to the, to the gig, gig economy, job in it. Like you ended up after the cubicle. The next quit is when you quit, when you know that you don't, have to keep doing those little gigs in between or Mm. during. I was on the set of a movie reading, doing coverage for HBO. I was a reader for them. And they were like, I'd leave my book or script that I was covering and I'd go to a scene and come back. And I remember the director going, when do you going to give that up? And I was like, "Not, not anytime soon. When did you know or when did you give up? Or maybe you haven't given it up. No, I have. Actually, I I believe... I was kind of in a unique position. I've worked in a lot of restaurants throughout my life, and I've really enjoyed it. I I love being in restaurants. But uh, I was working in a restaurant in Venice. That's where I met my lovely fiance. Her name is Carolyn Gilroy. I was working in a restaurant. You know, I was I was bartending throughout shooting season one of Never Have I Ever. You know, because it's like I I love this. Yeah, I I knew like that's amazing. When I got the job, I was like, oh my god, I did it, and you know. Once I came back down to earth, my fiance is like, you're right. You're totally right. And so I, I, I was literally working shifts in between days of shooting and I, I kept working there. And then, you know, COVID hit and, you know, we were all oh. furloughed 
And when it was time to go back to work at the restaurant, when the restaurant was opening back up, it was around the same time that season two started shooting. And this was, this was the time where it was like, I can't work at a restaurant because if I do, then I might get COVID and then I won't be able to, you know, they'll write me out of episodes and stuff. And so it was this weird thing where it was actually, I was almost forced to leave the restaurant. I think if COVID Uh hadn't hit, I think I still would have worked through season two because I don't know how long that show is lasting. Like I don't, it could have, it could have only been one season or whatever, you know? So, but yeah, that, that was the last job that I worked and uh, I'm really glad that I stayed on throughout shooting season one because, you know, I I just, um, like I said before, I try to be as responsible as possible. So, yeah. Do you still feel new? Like, you know, you've been working, you've been in the craft, which I know you, uh, you people, actors don't like to say because you think it's gross, but I can say it. Um, you've been <laughs> you in it for- You can say it all day long. Okay. You've been doing it for a long time. So you're not like new to the thing. But no, like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? You still feel new yep. to this. So can you like, what does it feel like to be new to this? So it's funny because when I was trying to think of things that like I want to quit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I I would love to quit having imposter syndrome. And although mm-hmm. I know that I'll never fully get past that, but what I've had to do is I've had to reframe this whole thing in my mind. I know that I'm fresh to the kind of mainstream jobs. And like you said, Chad, yes, I have been working a lot. Like I've, you know, I've been working on my craft. I'll say craft. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I've been working on my craft for, for, for a while. But yeah, I'm, I'm new to the, the mass audiences. And so I've kind of had to reframe it in my mind from imposter syndrome to a student. I see myself as a student, right? And I think... I, I never want to lose that. I, I think I'm always going to consider myself a student. You know, I think whether it's my first job or my 15th job, I think I'm always going to make a point to like kind of, you know, focus on a few people around set who are just so professional at what they do and learn from them. I think there's some power in and owning your freshness and your newness and and all mm. that. And so I want to always kind of continue to do that, right? Like I, I never want to show up to set one day in 15 years and act like I know what the fuck is going on all the time, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, we're this is the first time we've all been here as far as we know. That's a different, that's a different conversation. But like, you know, we're all learning. As far we're all learning. As- <laughs> As far as now we know. I'm intrigued. As far <laughs> as we know, do you have an alternate? Um, do you have like a like a alternate uh, parallel universe theory going on in your head? No, but you know what's funny though is when I was younger, when I was like a kid, like a little kid, and uh-huh. there's there's no way I could ever know what like reincarnation is. I guess I said to my dad one time, you know, when you die, you come back as someone else, and my dad said, "Well, did you come back as someone else?" And apparently, <laughs> I said, "I don't feel like talking about it right now." <laughs> <laughs> no are you shitting me how old I'm not, are you I'm not, I, I mean young like young so like four know, like that I, yeah, probably I don't want to talk about it that's a good and, answer and oh, who knows? but maybe that was just me maybe I'm just an entertainer at heart maybe that was just me entertaining my father you know who knows so <laughs> you are sort of new to this game mm-hmm. but not really I mean your experience and now you're in that that the sweet spot where you're making some money because you're on a TV show, but 
It's not fuck you money. That's right. I don't even know if fuck you money exists anymore in the state of California (laughs) because it's so expensive to live here. (laughs) It's sort of reverse engineering a future quit. Are there any jobs that you would never do? Obviously, I'm just going to cross porn off the list. Everybody says porn. But is there anything you, you were just like, I can't do that. I cannot do that. It's hard to say specifically those jobs because I would have to like look at the sides of an audition and make that decision. But I, as as far as acting goes, uh, I remember reading this script and it just seemed so tone deaf. And they were throwing out certain words that it just seemed unnecessary to throw out. And I was at that point for lack of better terms, I felt desperate. I wanted a job so badly. And the character, I knew that I could play. But I remember that was like the first time I called my manager. I'm, I'm very lucky. He's also one of my best friends. But I called my manager and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I can't do this. Like, I, and he's like, you never have to apologize. Like, you, it's, it's, it's having artistic integrity, you know? So I remember making that kind of switch being like, look, if I don't identify with the, my t- the, with the material, then like, I won't actually go after it. You know, I, I came to learn that it's not all, uh, you know, I've always known that it's not all about the money, but when you're struggling and you need to pay rent, you know, it's hard to see the other side of it. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I don't love being myself on camera. Like i I got into this industry to like play characters and be characters. You know, that's why I studied at the Groundlings. Like I just, I like playing parts other than myself. You know, even though the beginning of my career almost started with hosting, I think still as of now in this point in my career, I think hosting is like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I would love to do that right now, just yet. You know, maybe in the future. But the material, the material is a big thing to me. You said you'd like to be other people. Like what? What itch does that scratch for you? I think growing up, my favorite people to watch on screen, to me, I always, I consider them magicians because I want to see them lose every sense of self, you know, whether it was like Christian Bale or or Kate McKinnon or, you know, a, a, all the people who can just completely transform. That's the reason why I got into this. It's so much fun to tap into something that I am completely not you know? And look, my character, I never have I ever Trent. There's a lot of me in Trent, but at the same time, I'm not Trent, you know? I love, you know, putting in, putting in the time to create these characters. And uh, it's a, it's a project. It's a fun project, you know? I really love it when someone meets me and they're like, wow, you're not at all like this character. You're not at all. And I'm just like, well, then I did my job, you know? And that's fun. That's, that's fun to do. I just love transformative actors there's like a chemical makeup in 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 the in the greats that you almost can't teach you know and yeah when you when you transform back do you have to like remember how to be yourself <laughs> no no <laughs> not not yet at least i i i look i'm no daniel day lewis i i'm you know like maybe, I really maybe one day are those but... people like are they are they i don't get it are they okay when they like I don't no. know. Like, they're not. <laughs> Some okay. of them are not. You okay. talked to, like, the, there's Joker syndrome yeah. that goes from Jack Nicholson to God for, you know, Heath, RIP, right. to <laughs> um, Joaquin. All these people who have played the Joker go, oh God, it's such a dark, hateful place to live in for however long because they, and they take it so fucking seriously that they get, they traumatize themselves with it. Right. Right. Do you get and it? That's, do you, do, yeah. Do you get it as actors? Do, is it like, 
do you see how you could decide to go further and do that thing? But you're like, I'm not going to do that. That's dangerous. That's too far. I can see doing it. I think it would be, I could see doing it. And at a certain point in my life with three kids and the responsibilities I have like at home, it is super hard to maintain that. But like, I was a tiny part in a heavy movie, The Fallout with Jenna Ortega a couple of years ago. And I had to go to work and cry all day, every day. And it was like, mm. oh, it would have been, it would have been easier just to stay in the crying all day place so that the next day when I showed up at work, I didn't have to remember what was wrong. Like oh. go into dead puppies, dead puppies, global mm. warming, you know, like yeah. until you were so depressed. Um, I can't imagine doing that for months at a time. What about yeah, you? Yeah, I think that I think that would be an intense experience. I'm not, I'm not a opposed to it whatsoever because when you know when you're building a character you want to give it all the all the care in the world in order to you know properly portray whatever you're portraying but I do I think it's a slippery slope right I think uh I think at the end of the day like you just want to make sure that whatever you're doing for the character you're you are doing for the character and not to just say that you did it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, there's no one specifically in my head that I'm thinking like, oh, I think this person's like bullshit when they do that. I'm sure there's plenty of bullshit when actors are trying to do that. From being with my fiance, who's also an incredible actor, I've, I've learned a lot from her uh, when it comes to the work, the work, the work, and, uh, you know, giving the work your the, the proper time, the proper care, the proper effort. I feel like there's not, there aren't many people that are like indifferent to method acting. They're either like, oh yeah, like yeah. totally, like that's the shit. Or people are like, that's fucking bullshit. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a fully formed opinion on it yet. You came out here, originally you thought you were going to be a writer. Mm -hmm. You didn't quit writing though, did you? No, no. Or I, have you I, quit writing? No, I, st I still am a, a, okay. a writer. I think it's just, some people think like you have to make money in order to be that thing, you know? And mm. I think I am a working actor. That is how I make my money. But, you know, of course I still am a writer. I did, I did hold a writing job. Uh, I was... Um, I was, I think when I was 25, I worked, I was a staff writer for a small sports comedy show on the Audience Network. It was on uh, AT&T and DirecTV's network. And that was my first steady writing job. And that felt really cool because I was like, man, this is really what I came out here to do. And I got to act in the show as well. So that was like a total dream come true. And that was one of those confidence boosters where it was like, you know, I... I know that I have a knack for acting. I know that I'm good at it, but I also know that like I've always wanted to tell stories and I've and I'm always constantly writing. So that was definitely a confidence booster to be like, okay, no, you're still on the same track that you wanted to go down. My ultimate goal is to have, you know, my own show and and um and I've I've written pilots, I've, you know, written a movie and and um that's always going to be you know, that's always going to be like right there at the forefront of of my of my brain. Are you one of those people? You 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 poo pooed them in that last sort of paragraph. You were like, some people believe you aren't the thing until you're getting paid for it. And then you immediately said, and I did get paid for it at this time. And that was really validating. So are you one of those people who really in your heart of hearts is like, yes, I write, I I but I make my money acting and I'm not gonna call myself a writer until I'm making my money writing. That's a, that's a good, wow, you really caught me there. Uh, no, 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 no. Look, I always tell people, like, if, if we're, if, like I said, my manager and I will speak to the, to the college students and 
if anytime they say I'm an aspiring writer or an aspiring actor or aspiring musician, I'm like, no, you're not. You're an actor, you're a writer, and you're a musician. Just because you're make, not making money doing it doesn't mean you're not that thing. And so, no, down to my core, I absolutely believe that. But I think one of the ways in which this town and this industry can wear you down is, you know, you tell someone I'm this, and then they'll say, well, what if I, oh, yeah. have, have you done anything yeah. that I've seen? Or have you done anything that I've listened to? You know, and it's like, it's it's hard. It's really hard to try and, you know, stay confident in yourself when, you know, you're posed with that question. And then you're like, oh, man, I, have, I don't think I've done anything that they've seen. But that doesn't mean you're not that thing, right? So I think that's, you know, my my cousin is a, is a musician. She's incredible. Her name is Brianna Falcone. She, uh, but she always says, like, she puts it so eloquently, you know, as an artist, everyone always just sees the tip of the iceberg, right? Everyone always just sees what was actually produced or published or or created or put out there. Uh, whereas, you know, 90% below the surface, you're putting in these 10,000 hours. And not everyone always sees these 10,000 hours that you're putting in. And so, you know, I still to this day have to remind myself that, like, you know, stay the course, stay motivated. You are you know, I, I, I know my worth, whether it's, whether there's money involved or not, I know my worth. I'm stealing Chad's question. It's my favorite question. He asked somebody year, uh, last year, who gave you permission to know your worth? <laughs> uh, I think at the end of the day, the most important person is, is yourself. You have mm. to like, right? Like you, anyone can sit here and tell you you're so amazing. You're so talented. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. But if you don't believe in yourself, I think that is that is the number one person that matters because at the end of the day, you are the person that has to do it. You're the person who has to get up in the morning and put in the hours and put in the time and put in the work. And so, yeah, to answer your question, it's it's me. It has to it has to be coming from me. I have I I'm very lucky that I have had people around me, you know, motivate me and kind of reassure me that, hey, I think you're on the right track here, but I'm still the one who has to actually do it. And so, yeah, I have to believe in myself, right? If I don't believe in myself, then, then that's a completely different ball game. Julie, what, uh, Ben, sometimes you have to ask the, the question back to Julie. Um, oh, that's a good... Yeah, don't let her off the hook. Like, Julie, what do you think about the... Uh, Am I the thing if I'm not paid for it theorem? I remember getting guest spots. I was waiting tables in New York and I was getting guest spots on shows and I'd fly. The first time I got a guest spot on a show, I flew up to Toronto. They flew me first class. I'm going to shat myself. I was like, what? <laughs> they sent a car. The pick me was like a shitty town car. I was like, a, I've never taken anything but 777777 Carmel, you know, that like car <laughs> thing in New York. <laughs> I'd never done. And so I ta they took a, I had a car to the airport. They put me first class. I was in a, in a hotel for a week with a with per diem. And I went back to, I came back like on, I don't know, Wednesday or whatever. And I had them drop me at the restaurant because I had a shift. And I put my apron on. I get out and like stick my wheelie bag under the bar. And I went to work. And I remember that everybody knew I'd been off for a few days. What happened? Oh, I was out of town. I was just, uh, I had to take care of some stuff. I never talked about it. And I never wanted to be like, I'm an actor. I got a job because I didn't want to be judged for it and feel like they were going to take me down. But one day I came into that same job and they had set up a screen like on the wall and they were, 
they projected that episode of TV that I had been in and they were like, you, and I was dying of embarrassment, mm-hmm. but they're like, you look, you're an actor. And meanwhile, but I'm like, but I'm also like having my ass pinched and taking orders for weird drinks. So am I? I do feel like there's a validation that comes from a paycheck and that comes from like the actual job that, uh, because Chad's getting at is I revere writing. I think writing is the highest form of art. And I always say about him, you were saying, you know, people put you in a box here. Like you are, you're, oh, you're a writer, you're an actor or, and it's kind of hard to get out of those boxes. But I think if you come in as a writer, which Chad is, he came in, Mm. he wrote a fucking book yeah. screenplay. He wrote for television. He's also cute as hell. He can also act. He can also do music. I can't call him a musician because he gets mad at that one. <laughs> but because you didn't, I feel like if you come in as an actor and and you're cute, then then don't try to get out of that box. Don't <laughs> try it. But if you come in as a writer or a director or a musician or or something else, it's okay for you to dip your toe into acting. It's okay for you to write stuff for yourself to be in and people will accept it. So for me to say that I wish that I could um, show people my writing <laughs> it's, it's, feels, I, I, I'm sweating. Here it comes. Here comes the sweat. Yeah, literally. Full sweat. Full I'm sweat every time. Though, because I, I can tell people like, I can, I can tell people latch on to the belief that once you have established yourself as something uh, you 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 can put at risk that thing by rocking the boat and trying to do the other thing and failing or and not having the same success. Is that like is it real though? Like what like what's the case that proves that out? Like okay, uh, let's state let writers removed. Um, Michael Jordan know. goes to play ba- baseball for a season. Did that? But did that cause any harm to Michael Jordan's legacy as a basketball player? I think people I, I think people like skim that skim that chapter of his of his <laughs> career, right? I think it's sure. like they just they just kind of like hit the bullet points. I remember it vaguely. I don't know, did he play he didn't play professionally, did he? He did. No. He played like at one of the A triple A or something. For the White Sox. It was like the next uh, yeah, no, it division. was yeah, I think it was triple okay. A White White Sox. Something so, like that. Yeah. But what we don't know is yes, as we look at his at the at the book of Michael. Uh, and we're like, I mean, he's a legend and there's been documentaries and he will go down as one of the all-time greats. But at that moment, when he's standing at bat trying to hit and he's striking out and every eye is on him going, not giving him an inch, not a centimeter because he's Michael Jordan, so he better be great. And if he isn't great, he's shit. Like, what what happened in his mind? How did that affect him to step out to try something and not to succeed at it we don't know. We don't know. And we don't know. But we, we did don't know. see him like come back and continue to dominate. Like, That's right. So I think it's probably individual to individual. But I'm like, uh, if Julie Bowen put out a book of freaking haikus, and <laughs> which she might want to, so I don't mean to diminish them. And they were like a terrible flop and nobody liked him. And everyone was like, ah, oh, Julie doesn't, ah, oh, her haikus suck. I just, I really, I, I think it's like, a mechanism of like industry control to make people feel like that kind of failure is going to somehow diminish the rest of what Julie has done. That's that's my soapbox. Well, okay. I do think that we are 
in different times right now. I think that the whole multi-hyphenate is is way more common now than it than it was back in the day. And that's not to say that you know people who were working 20, 30, 40 years ago had it in them to be multi-hyphenates. I just think you know, with, we have technology at our fingertips, right? So we, we do have the means to create things ourselves. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot more multi-hyphenates, especially in the film industry is because, Mm. you know, someone who has been grinding away as an actor for years and years and years grinded. And if they've constantly been, been told like, you know, you are an actor, you're this, there's a lot, there are a lot more avenues now, a lot more streamers and, and, and ways in which you can be like, well, fuck that. I'm going to take matters in my own hands and I'm going to get something off the ground myself and prove myself, you know? I mean, like, dude, look at Donald Glover. Look at Michaela Cole. Like, look at all these people who are making yeah. unbelievable art, doing almost everything f- to create those pieces, right? Um, because they have it in them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think... I think one of the reasons why I've stayed motivated in as a a multi-hyphenate is because, you know, when I was in middle school and in high school, I was writing, directing, producing, starring in, and editing my own videos. That's what I did. That is, that is how, that is all I wanted to do, you know? And so even though those were the silliest videos, a lot of them, the stars were uh, articles of clothing. I don't know why. I made like a movie about a sock and a movie about a hat and a movie about a scarf. Like I don't, I have no idea why that's, I have to unpack that later, but. Um, you do. You do have to unpack that. You got to get those out and you unpack need to like. Unpack And they're literally clothes. Literally yeah, unpack. I mean, maybe it's because I, I didn't have enough People who wanted to, you know, who also wanted to do this with me. Anyway, I know what my identity is. I'm, I'm not just an actor. I'm a creator. I, t- I'm a storyteller, right? I just, I've always wanted to tell stories, and so. But this goes yeah. back to the generational thing that you said. Like, I'm the old fogey uh, uh, here who didn't grow up with iPhones and computers. And I mean, we had word processors, and we certainly did not have the ability to edit or shoot a movie unless you literally got like short ends from NYU's film program. And so it was a very big deal. And and as you said that, I realized maybe that is part of the reason why I see myself in such like a box because it, you, we didn't have the means of production Mm -hmm. to be outside of that box. You needed a sound guy. You needed one person to run a camera. You needed an editor. You needed an actor because these were all so time-consuming and difficult. You couldn't just set up a camera and get a ring light and do some shit. So I think that my, my ass is stuck in a different era, but I wanted to ask you, you said you work with different generation of actors and yet you're playing part of that generation. You're, you're pretending that you're a teenager and you're doing it very well. I too played teenagers into my 30s. And then once, one day I got cast as a teacher and I'm like, what, That's what happened? The day. That was the um, day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it crossed over. How different do you see this next generation? Because you're a millennial, right? And then you're yeah, working a with a bunch of Xers, Gen Z. right? I mean, Z, Gen Z, sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are they different? Yes, they are, they are they are different and you know they have different slang, right? I think Instagram was a big thing. Like I didn't have or TikTok, like I didn't have Instagram mm-hmm. or TikTok in in high school. I actually didn't even have it in college up until like 
you know, senior year. So I do think social media plays a big part in that. They are hyper aware of how they're coming across because at any second, someone can just comment on them. I do think that they have this certain awareness that maybe we didn't have uh, when we were younger. But I will say though, look, I have a small sample pool. I have my castmates. I have some cousins who are Gen Z. I know that the the generations like to kind of talk shit on each other. And and look, I love that. It's it's, it's fun. It's, you know, it, it's, it's fun competition. I do think we're in good hands though. I think that um, when it comes to social rights and everything, like I, I do think we're heading, I do think we're heading in the right direction. I do think that there is a, a newfound sense of empathy with uh, a, a mm-hmm. lot of kids who are Gen Z. And look, sometimes uh, sometimes they're a bit much, uh, but uh, <laughs> but like, so were we. Like, so were millennials, yeah. you know? Like, we were... Oh, be- yeah. Before parents were on social media, everyone was putting, them like, pictures of them drinking on Facebook. Like, that shit was crazy. Like, I can't believe we did that. But then again, it was the I wild know. west of the internet, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, everyone, they're growing up very publicly, and that's hard. That's got to be so difficult, you know? So I think we're in, I think we'll be all right. It, I think we'll it be feels right. like they um, have the, like all the things that are bad about fame without like any of the things that are good about them. They have to deal with all the things that are bad yeah. about fame without any of the benefits. Like, yeah. except for the ones that actually are famous. And that feels like a really unfair imbalance. Right. Me. But they are developing this thick skin that I cannot understand. Two presidents from now, or two or three presidents from now, let's say, will be somebody who had shit all over the internet. And no one's going to care. They're smoking weed at a party. That whole generation is so sort of inured to... I'm like, where is your shame? And they're like, well, we don't really have it because we're all sharing it. Obviously, there's exceptions, and I hear horrible stories about you know, nude pictures being circulated for yeah. sources of shame and stuff. But in general, this idea that everything I do is open for consumption, everything. So why would I be surprised that my the leader of the free world wouldn't also? But I don't know. I don't, I'll be. I'm too old. I, I don't we'll know have, if I can we'll have to wait that. and see because I think you're on. I mean, you're definitely on to something. Like everyone's living on the internet now, and everything is out there. I feel like people had to like dig up certain things about people in in order to hold them accountable. But like, I don't know how much digging you're going to have to do in a couple of generations. You're right about that. But will will people want to dig? Because like Bill Clinton inhaled. Okay. Well, we all know he smoked weed. (laughs) And honestly, it wouldn't make a lick of difference at this point. But for him, he had to make, he had to do this whole, I didn't inhale. My man, Barry, Mr. (laughs) Obama, uh, talks openly in his autobiography about doing cocaine, smoking, doing drugs. And he sort of just got out in front of that train before it ran him over. And sort of everybody was like, okay. And he clearly walks the walk. He's not a guy that's like, you, he's not like Marion Barry from D.C. you find in a strip club doing crack. <laughs> so everybody we backed off. We love Marion Barry. I, I just want to say that. You do? I mean, yeah, on our side of Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, we don't have tell- to get into it. But I just can't, oh, I can't, I can't wait let to hear that about fly that later. without speaking on it. <laughs> I can't wait. We didn't even ask you, Ben, where you're from. I know uh, where he's from. It's in the dossier. It's in the do- yeah, Apparently, I, it's in the dossier. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, uh, it's I'm okay from if White you Plain- say it. I'm from White Plains, White New Plains. York. 
Uh, okay. So, you know, north of, north of the city, Westchester County. Yeah, oh, Westchester yeah. County. I know. I, I know yeah. it well. Um, yeah. well I want to say thank pride. you. Is there anything? You have been such a delight. Is there thank anything you. that you want to say that we haven't given you a chance to say or anything you give a shit about that you want to say something about? What do you write about? Can, <laughs> can that be part of it? Oh, that's good, Chad. What do you write about? I'm very comedy, you know, driven, right? And so everything that I write is comedy. But I I got my start in writing by writing sketches. That was my that was my strong suit. That's what I that's the way my mind worked when it when it came to writing and I think I had to since living out here I had to learn how to ex- expand that medium and and you know work you know in in longer formats. Look, I've I I've been working in television so I think I'm focusing in that uh developing show ideas or writing pilots. The way I put it to my manager is like, you know, I get a lot of ideas, but there is that feeling I get when I'm like that one, like Mm -hmm. that's the one, you know? And then I pull on that thread and I think, is it worth it to, you know, go down this road and put in all this time to uh, flesh it out? And um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's always comedy for me. It's always going to be comedy for me. I want to make people laugh, you know, and I want to write my own my own characters. So, so that's 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 what I write, and uh, you know, I'm sure one day people will get to to see what I create. So, I'm pretty confident about that. No doubt. Well, we look forward to thank it, you. and thank you so much. Thank you for coming and talking to us. It's not an insignificant thing to quit, uh, to cubicle. step off the edge and quit uh, quit the cubicle. Yeah, yeah. Chad yeah. did it. Yeah. Well, it's scary. Tough. Look, I'm glad I did it. And I will say that that year and a half of working in a cubicle was technically much easier than the following seven years because I held like every part time job under the sun. Like it was restaurants, mm. Lyft, Uber, Postmates, valet. I cleaned a house, uh, an Airbnb. Like I, were, I was a personal assistant for these rich guys. Like I did everything. But and, and you met your fiance doing one of those jobs, right? So that's you know, like. I don't know. You, that's really special. You know, it's funny. I the the writing job that I had working on the show, I did that for about six months, and then we got canceled. And I I made money for the first time, and I was like, "This is it. My career is ready to go. Like, my career is gonna take off now." And then uh, in the following six months, I spent every dime of that money uh, without getting another job. And then I was like, "Oh my god, I the grind is." never going to stop. I'm going to have to go back and work in a restaurant. So I was broke, went back to work in a restaurant and that's where I met my fiance. So, uh, thankfully I wasn't great with my finances and, uh, now here I am very happy. So <laughs> always the optimist, Ben yeah. Norris. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, for you, coming to thank you for having you me. You are delightful. Thank you. And thank you to uh, producer Kate for, um, connecting us with yes. this like thank you, astonishingly intelligent and optimistic young man. Oh man, thank you thank very you. much. It was a pleasure. You guys are great and I'm going to keep listening, obviously. 